I can do that. I can fill you in a little bit on COVID stuff. Have you been well? Have you, you haven't caught? Yeah, no, we're, we're healthy. We're staying very isolated um, and, you know, feeling lots of gratitude that we can do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, a number of people I know, and I was really sorry to hear about your whole family. So yeah. how, how is your mom now? Is she fully recovered? And what about Bryce? Yeah, we're really like, you know, hold on, I wanted to close the door real quick, but we're basically fully recovered. Terrific. That's so good to hear. I I like what you had said, how uh, Bryce seemed to have the best attitude about it. Oh my God, he absolutely did. Um, While while they were in um, uh, hospital, you know, myself and mom and everybody's just kind of, you know, more of a panic state and everything. Bryce is just cool and he's just like... (laughs) Just being cool, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, I think that, and then at a point, like after the first night, once he got a bunch of oxygen and they gave him some steroid shots or I don't know what they were all giving him, some sort of medicines, um, he was really fine. Uh, and so then, honestly, I think that you know my mom, because they were getting meals each day, they were getting visits from people that he used to work with. Uh, they had a really like nice little view. They're uh-huh. like, like a little hotel room, like a little vacation, honestly. Was he at, at Good Sam? Was that? Yeah, he's at the Good Samaritan. Yep. Oh, okay, great. Oh, that's great because he certainly knows it. Yeah, I know. Um, and I'll be honest, Cinda. Uh, when I got hit with it, so it was it was Halloween day. I went and I played basketball um, in Longmont, which was definitely the riskiest thing I was doing, like at all. It was, you know probably a dozen dudes that were just out there playing ball. We're, we weren't, you know, like terribly acquainted or terribly like responsible, maybe away from basketball or something like that, I would say. I mean, I was, I know I did not bring it for any reason. Um, you know, I wore a mask everywhere, uh, wash my hands, you know, very conscious of things, just living with Bryce and my mom. Uh, but some of these dudes definitely just I don't know, weren't the most responsible. So one of them had to have been like sick there or something. Yeah. Because yeah. then about a week later, or actually like three or four days later, I just got hit with like, at night, I felt like, okay, I got like this weird cold coming on. And I just thought, oh, maybe I'm just like stressed and just getting dehydrated or whatever. And then all night I had this chills and sweats and... I just woke up like a sack of bricks like fell on me mm. um, and it was really bizarre and weird and it didn't feel like a regular flu and it, for, I was like in denial too I was like this isn't it this isn't it you know this is weird this isn't it um, and then that was just kind of going on and I was just like kind of out of it too but it didn't really like hit my sinuses that much like definitely had body aches headache like all this kind of stuff. we kept testing myself if I had a fever and I kept coming up 97.7. No, no actual fever, if you will. Yeah. Uh, yeah so weird. And so then, um, uh, I don't know, a few days go by. I actually wound up going to a basketball practice that I was coaching. Oh. Uh, and I, cause I still didn't think I had it. I don't know. It was so weird. And then, um, uh, and then the next day I got a rapid test and it said I tested positive because then, then my strength kind of was coming back. Was, anyway, so then um, next day I got a test and it said I was positive. 
was like, oh shoot. And um, I told my coach, I told my administrator, and they said, yeah, we got to quarantine your whole team now. Uh, so 14 girls and two coaches needed to stay home from school for two weeks. Um, and they did. Uh, and, and actually I, I kind of like communicated to the families, like, you know, how it, it was me. Like at first they keep it kind of anonymous. They just say, Hey, somebody, whatever. Mm. Um, but I communicated to them and I'll apologize and everything like that. They're understanding. Mm. But, um, uh, yeah, then then Saturday, so it was Friday, I got my positive test. Then Saturday morning, my mom just woke up and she said, I have it. And I was like, oh shit. And so then she um, then she went and got a regular test, like a drive up or whatever. And this was a weekend when it was just bad. She sat in like a car line for like two and a half hours off really? Rappo and 63rd, yeah. Wow. Yeah, and um, and she just waited where, but she was miserable. She was just like me, just really beat, um, just headache, fatigue, chills, sweats, like weird feelings, but also didn't test for temperature. Didn't, didn't show temperature had, she was at 98.0 or something like that the whole time. Mm. But I, that's when I was worried the most, Cinda. I was, um, there were moments where I started crying, like having fear that my mom was gonna turn to the yeah. worst and and that she was going to be alone and dying in a hospital I, I just said i had i i was i brought to my knees in tears at times afraid of that because for about 72 hours she was just she was on in bed and really really out of it mm -hmm. she says she doesn't even remember those first few days really um, yeah because then what happened this is so bizarre and what happened was it was then it was like a monday morning uh, she went to the bathroom in the morning and um, I knocked on the or kind of said, are you okay? And then she said, go away. It was very weird of her. And she said, uh, for those 10 minutes, it was like this incredibly intense pain that she had never felt before. Um, like she was just like kind of just convulsed over, kind of wanted to throw up or something, like wanted something to come out. She thought she just kind of like go who first or whatever um and then all of a sudden she had this this sweat that was so much it was like water just came out of her body um and she said she just felt like she was literally dying and like she was seeing the afterlife and about to just just you know be done with you know um but then it like pretty much instantly passed it was like last like 10 15 minutes or something like that and then all of a sudden my mom was just kind of kind of better um and going forward she just kept getting better and better and i was like oh it it like left you um yeah sounds like it yeah her uh, body got rid of it yeah her body <laughs> decided to kick kick it out um yeah that or it just you know just wanted her time to go and then but then then it found bryce and so bryce had already been having this like kind of weird and then after that like both my mom and i were just like four or five days of just like being kind of tired and like kind of a cold or something like that. She got the no taste, no smell, weird things, but I didn't really have that too much. Um, but then then I guess I kind of found Bryce or it was already kind of working its way in Bryce or something like that. And and he was kind of, he wasn't really showing symptoms while mom and I, she and I were sick. Although this one week before, he was like really depressed and just didn't do anything. Mm -hmm. um, 
So that was kind of bizarre, but it didn't make sense because I definitely brought it home and he was like depressed before that. So it was hard to say, mm. but we got him tested when he wasn't really showing any symptoms and then he tested positive. Mm. But then later he developed this cough that just became very persistent. Um, and eventually it was like two or three nights in a row of just like, just incessant <coughs> coughing. And it was clearly like, that was hurting him, you know? Uh, and then I got this like pulse reading little thing on your finger and then mm -hmm. Bryce had like a really low heart rate right. um, and so we were just like we just got to take him to the ER mm -hmm. so we took him to the ER it must have been just I don't know later in that week I can't remember the, the timeline now exactly but mm -hmm. we took him to the ER um, and then he was there pretty much all day until they finally opened up a bed which there weren't any beds for him for a while wow yeah uh, and they were, there was like a little talk of possibly going out to Brighton to like uh, to a hospital where it had some beds or something like that. But I don't know. It was, it was all just so bizarre. Anyway, but they, um, yeah, he got, got into the hospital. He got admitted. And again, like I said, that first night was maybe a little rough. But then after that, they threw oxygen on him. Um, and he had COVID, pneumonia and like oh. a low heart rate oh yeah i mean he has diabetes and is a little overweight um so that, that those so are you got off pretty lucky then with all those things going on so yeah he yeah. he kicked it man um obviously he was in the best place he could be being at the hospital they were able to just give him give him care 24 7 there and then um and then after about four days or so it's like four good days um, sent him home with just a little bit of oxygen, a little tank and a little, I don't know what, defibrillator thing or something like that to push it in. Um, so then uh, he's been, he's been weaning off of it just a little bit at night now, um, but still not even needing it that much, which is good. And my mom's healthy. Um, uh, I'm, I'm, I've been kicking, I've been great now for a while. And I think Bryce is got all his vitality back so yeah we made it through uh, really really lucky really good thanks yeah. so so you guys have been who all is in your household uh just my husband and i right now okay and my son lives in boulder and um we're not seeing him other than like we had him over for dinner yesterday middle of the day when it was the warmest we sit outside two tables and um and you know had an early dinner so we'd see him about once a week that way and he you know he's reasonably safe but you know he goes out to the store to the liquor store to the gas station and um you know we're just kind of avoiding all of that that's good yeah yeah oh man um well, my one of my visions with with the I'm glad that you guys are just staying safe and staying curbed of everything. But I guess my visions with the the podcast here is, um, especially with yourself, is just to like open up with the question of like you know, what is what is your story? What's Cinda Arsenault's story? What's up, Sky's the Limit community and beyond? We're here again today with another podcast feature from Cinda Collins Arsenault, as she'll share with you in a moment. 
great conversation today. If you listened, you just heard the coronavirus story that the Magueras household experienced. But Cinda and I talk about um, her late daughter Erin, our unique perspectives on life that we share, uh, and the joys and challenges that the special needs community faces and everything in between. So glad to have talked to her. Uh, I love Cinda's energy and I hope you guys do too. Uh, Sky's the limit and beyond. Well, first of all, it's Cinda Collins Arsenault. I get really picky when people leave the Collins out. You can just call me Cinda or, but otherwise both names. Gotcha. Um, So, you know, my story, so much of it is connected to my daughter, Erin. I mean, that's, I just, I learned so much from her and, you know, who I've become has been guided by that experience. And I feel so fortunate. you know, we had her for 31 years, which was way beyond her life expectancy. Because originally they said she didn't, they didn't think she'd live much past 14 or so. Mm. So every year was just this huge celebration and um, an appreciation that, you know, she made it another year. Mm. And I think that that gives you an extra gift to really appreciate someone you know every moment because you know in so many relationships you just you get used to people you um you know you take them for granted you don't think about it but then when you know and have that at your forefront that you know this is limited time you really appreciate that time more and one of the things after she died i i realized that um you know, for some people, after someone dies, they're like, oh, I should have done this. I wish I'd done that. I never said this. And I didn't have any of them because, you know, because of having always that opportunity. That, and there were so many times where she came close to dying. Um, and but it was always to be able to really live in the moment and appreciate it. So um, you know, that was just one of the gifts she gave us. And, and then she brought so many people into our lives, you know, through yeah. the various. And I, I often thought of myself as kind of a stage manager. Okay. You know, that, that, that I, you know, I wanted to create a community around her so that I wasn't essential. You know, mm. because if something happened to me, that was like my worst fear. Then, you know, what would happen to her yeah. if, if, you know, she was totally dependent on just me. And so by building this community, you know, it, it gave me some comfort that, well, okay, if I'm gone, there, there's others there. And, and we were very fortunate to have so many people that really became part of her life that, that she invited in and they became very connected to her. And and now it's it's kind of her ongoing gift back to me yeah. that these people that she brought into our lives are still in my life. So mm. the, the women that lived with her that were, you know, her age are now parents and I get to be vicarious grandma or oma to some mm. of the kids. Um, and I have multiple daughters instead of just one, you know. So anyway, it, she's very much still present in my life and in who I am. Yeah. And and I'm very grateful for that. 
And, yeah. and then also she introduced me to a whole world that I really had no experience with. And, uh, you know, and through that to meet other people like Bryce and, and so many others through the ACL. Yeah. So then I guess sometimes, you know, when we have our, our stories, there's maybe like a life that we're living before our children or siblings or whatever. For me, I don't, I don't know life before that, but <laughs> uh, before Bryce. Yeah. And then the life after. Um, so maybe do you want to share kind of how you, where you were at in life before Aaron? And then you've kind of explained a little bit of how things have sort of changed, but maybe a little bit more. So in maybe those early years of how things changed for you and your family. Yeah, well, um, you know, I, I was, I mean, so I was out in Berkeley in the late 60s, early 70s, which was a wonderful time to be there and very much, I consider myself a hippie and still am <laughs> and, um, you know, became active in a number of things of how we were going to change the world and uh, get to a place beyond war, which is still very much a passion and, and what I work in now. Um, and. and you know, so just that opportunity at the beginnings of a lot of new things that were happening um, that did help shape uh, my values and and what I, I do. Um, when we decided, you know, to have a child, uh, it was very planned. <laughs> um, I had, you know, for months beforehand, I had done, you know, all the diet, I had stopped all my Diet Cokes and coffee and, and eating very healthy and, and all that. And then we had traveled to Europe and I knew precisely in the right time. And oh, wow. Aaron was conceived on the French Riviera. No way. Oh, <laughs> so wow. went out and bought a t-shirt, little baby shirt with the name on it of the town. And, uh, you know, th so through the whole pregnancy, it was this vision of how it was going to be. Kind of. Perfection. The sense of the control, control, you know. Yeah, control, yeah, okay. And, you know, and, and of course it was going to be perfect, you know, yeah. uh, doing all the right things. And so, and then, you know, we didn't know right at birth. It was more like a few months later when she just wasn't doing those things that, that babies normally do, yeah. that we began that testing process. And it was just devastating. Mm. Um, you know, that sense of, but I did everything right. This can't be happening. This is not the way it's supposed to be. And so it was quite an adjustment period during that time. And I remember I was changing her diaper once and crying like, oh, you know, and, and she just looked at me and laughed. And I realized she didn't have a problem with this. It was yeah. all my problem. Yeah. And so learning then eventually to to see the gifts that she brought and um, and and then extending that beyond to uh, seeing all people differently as, yeah. as all the gifts that people have and in particular looking at our society where we all try to be perfect you know and and we put on this mask and we pretend and we you know say that the right things when in fact people's lives are such a mixture of so yeah. many things 
and um, and that people with disabilities, particularly the really severe disabilities, they they don't have that choice. They they just show up as who they are, and 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 accept not only themselves but others. And so it was the it's, we we often called her a uh, little Buddha because she had this sense of peace and calm about her that we all try to achieve, <laughs> but yeah. seldom get there. And um, so anyway, it was that was that was one of the transitions. I mean, and I still the things I was involved in before the you know kind of activism I still very much am and you know Erin was a part of all that while she was alive um, you know one of the things she was born I think at a good time in 79 when there was just the beginning of the inclusion movement and so she was you know kind of when she started kindergarten it was in a separate segregated class and yeah. uh, very gradually, in second grade, the cl- uh, second grade classroom invited her in for half a day. And, you know, then um, so it, it gradually increased until she was fully included. And the things that we learned, you know, in that process from teachers, from the other students, of how all education, all students are helped when everyone is included. Right. Yeah, so anyway, she was uh, a video. Her fifth grade class made a video about her and they sent it to Barbara Bush, oh, really? <laughs> the president of the first Bush. Yeah. And it was called A Friend Like Aaron. And so the video person interviewed the students about Aaron in the classroom and why she was there and what they did. And it was just this wonderful video, wonderful testimony to, um, you know, to inclusion in the schools. And and the teacher, you know, too, was interviewed and and talked about how much she had learned, not only about Erin, but about the other students in the class, too. That's beautiful. It is. Yeah, she she gave one story about... um, there was one student in the class who was difficult. You know, he had his issues and he was a little bit of a bully and uh, some behavior stuff. And Aaron was sitting on a beanbag chair and he had gone and he'd sat next to her and was handing her a book or something. And the teacher looked at him and he had let his mask down. And all of a sudden she saw the little boy that he was and not this tough hat. And, you know, the idea that Erin was so vulnerable, I mean, she couldn't do anything. (laughs) And and yet what that brought out in others who wanted to protect her, you know, so that was good. Yeah, sometimes, um, you know, in my my work as a teacher myself and uh, when I've been a para or even some stories from like Bryce's life, uh, or things I've heard from my dad too. Um, some of the the, the rough and tough kind of kids, um, or maybe those who aren't particularly like great at uh, academic side of school or something, like they'll have these amazing connections with people like Aaron and people like Bryce uh, in school, and and have this like profoundly like nurturing 
aspects kind of come out of them that you would have never seen in any kind of other scenario or something like that or just mm-hmm. or they'll just think they're cool or they'll want to like hang out with them and, and drop that bully mask and drop that kind of guard and um, and then and then you hope that either it's either happening in their earlier development or you hope that it has the impact like later where that's one of the ways that they're becoming more understanding and more empathetic uh, of others as well. Yeah, I, I see that all the time. It's so funny. Any any parent will share that about noticing or uh, yeah, noticing like their son or daughter, a bracer and Aaron, um, somebody like that who is rough around the edges, if you will, and having this like total open heart kinds of experiences with, with people like Bryce and Aaron. Um, yeah. yeah, I I totally get that, and I see that all the time too. Even as a teacher and everything that I've seen before too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's really cool. What uh, uh, so you guys are just living in Boulder, growing up in Boulder, and everything this whole time, right? We're in Superior. In Superior. And, uh, yeah. Actually, we lived in Erie when Erin was born, but we moved here when she was a year. So this was where she grew up. Okay. Well, I guess um, kind of the next line of things that. Uh, I like learning about is maybe just in your personal life um, and in Aaron's life, what were some challenges, uh, of course, that you probably saw or needs that might have kind of gone unmet, or maybe it was like successes and things that you're really grateful for and needs that were met um, in terms of services, I don't know, advocacy things or whatever they might be. Because um, part of part of what we're trying to, you know, also have is sharing stories um, to to hear your story and hear your lives but also understanding um, a lot of people don't understand the difference in level of needs and resources and uh, just challenges, but also what it looks like to have a successful experience as a person with developmental disabilities. Um, So you want to talk about any of that? Yeah. So um, I mentioned that when she was in second grade, one of the teachers had requested that Erin come into her classroom for part of the day. And, and that was just such a good year. I mean, these second graders were so amazing. Um, we had a Christmas party that year and had invited the whole classroom and just watching the interaction, particularly the boys that were so good with Aaron. And, and then we moved to Gardner down in Southern Colorado. It was a very rural, very poor area and um, So I had called up the principal of the school ahead of time to say we're going to be living there and wanted Erin to go to the school. And um, she said, oh, well, you know, we don't have the services or we don't have anything can offer you. Uh, It was a small school. It was um, 100 students from from preschool (laughs) through eighth grade. So uh, not very small. And um, she suggested I send her to this school that was in in Walsenburg, which was 15 miles away. And it was run by the nuns. And it was not where I was going to send her to. It was, you know, only kids with dis- very severe disabilities. Mm. Um, and so I said, well, you know, I can train someone. And we can actually, you know, we offered to like kind of privately pay to have someone with her in the classroom and anyway i talked to the principal for a while we lived outside of town and i fully anticipated that we would be driving her into school 
And it was a very different situation because I was used to doing, you know, the IPs down here where a lot of times they would uh, kind of promise things or say, oh yeah, we can do that. And, they, they, and things would sound good, but then they never actually happened. Whereas this principal just said, well, I'll see what I can do. And by the time we got there, she had gotten uh, an A paid through some uh, other programs, uh, county programs. Um, and she'd found a bus, she'd trained one of their buses to get one that had a wheelchair lift on it so that they could come pick Aaron up. And, and we had a meeting that first day at school and it was the janitor the principal and the teacher who was second and third grade combined there were 50 kids in the class and this aide that they had found and it was like okay so what do we need to know and we talked about well where would we change your diapers and the oh and there was the PE teacher and he said oh well I've got some mats we can put it in the teacher lounge and we can I've got some uh, privacy things we can put up and the teacher said, well, her wheelchair won't fit under the desk. And the janitor said, well, I can put some things on the bottom of the desk to raise it up. And wow. the principal said, I've got a beanbag chair I'll bring in from home. Wow. This entire and we, community yeah. cool, making it work. Yeah. We, we talked for an hour and they said, okay, I guess we're ready. Bye, mom. And <laughs> it was just like wow and that was just one of the best years and so here's a school that really has no money but through creativity and passion they they made everything work and everything happened yeah. so so by then when after we were there a year that was still gardener right that was gardener yeah then when we came back it was like no way was I going back to an hour a day in a, a regular classroom. I knew it could work. I knew it could be done. So, you know, she got into, to, you know, fully included into a fourth grade class at that point. Um, but, but, you know, going back to some of the challenges, it, it really did take, um, you know, being there, being aware, being pushing to get, services to get inclusion mm -hmm. being very actively involved um we always had a circle of friends you know in the school and you know having them come to the house and doing various things like slumber parties and mm -hmm. and stuff like that so that's why i say i kind of felt like a little bit of a stage manager i would set mm -hmm. the stage but then others would would play the roles and, you know, she had many hospitalizations and like you say, many times we weren't sure she was going to make it. Um, she went in hospice a couple of times and then came out. Um, the One of the hospitalizations she was in, it was in 99, she had a full spinal fusion because the, um, her spine curvature was, you know, compromising her lungs so she couldn't breathe. And um, it was on the same day as Columbine. <laughs> well, so they, they, she was in ICU after the surgery and they had to clear out the ICU to make room for incoming injured kids. And anyway, because of that, a number of things happened and her recovery was not as we had hoped. So she ended up being there for six weeks 
Um, wow. So during this time, you know, I just basically lived at the hospital. Children's is very much set up for parents that be there all the time. And, um, and I was, I had gotten a grant from the Colorado Disabilities uh, Coalition, I forget the exact name, to write a book. And so oh. I interviewed every parent that was there, every parent of every special needs child. And I think I interviewed like 250 people altogether um, and, and wrote a book then that talks, you know, basically to see how do they do it? You know, how do you get yeah. through all those hardships, all the times that, and the book was basically on, on getting respite care, but it really was about building the supports in the community and, and how you can not just get through, but also thrive. Mm. And so each of the chapters dealt with a common uh, question that came up or a comment. You know, like the first one was, um, you know, I can handle it myself. And, and every parent, you know, has this thing of like, I can't ask for help. I, this is mine. I got to do it. It's my responsibility. And, you know, so it was like, yeah, you can, but why? <laughs> you know, what, what are you limiting in both your child's life and in your own life, exactly. but also in other people's lives, you know, because we've learned what the gifts is. And if we can share that with others to see that gift too and, and to have it, it helps everybody. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's not just a, a selfish thing to, you know, try to get help, but the benefits to the rest of the community are out there. Yeah. So, um, there's, yeah, there's even some of the theme of what you're sharing a lot about your story. Um, it reminds me of like a line in a poem that I have um, where I say the, 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 the quality of our society uh, should be measured by its ability to take care of those who need it most. And, uh, and I fully believe in that. Like if you can't, if, if a society in general can't really kind of have its safety nets for um, those who need it most and continue to thrive and survive on its own. Like we've reached such a high level of human evolution now. Like there's no reason that we can't, can't have, uh, can't eliminate poverty and can't meet the needs of Aaron's and Bryce's and, and so forth out there, let alone understanding the, the benefits and the joys and the, the gifts that, that our, our people bring, you know what I mean? Um, exactly. Yeah, so uh, that is the sign of a highly evolved society if we, if we can do that. Yeah. And and like you say, it's the benefits both ways. Yeah. Yeah, and then and then even furthermore you were saying earlier too um uh you know, having Aaron it, it, it opens up your experience and you you have this kind of empathy for not just people like her but then all all walks of life, right? Mm-hmm. Um uh, I think about I think about that every day. That that's exactly what Bryce has has given me as well. Um, just how incredibly like how how on a spectrum of of sorts that I just see all people, all humanity, and uh, and and it's so interesting when you encounter others who just don't have that like kind yeah. of point of view, like kind of very binary and very black and white about things, and 
and to you and I, that doesn't make any sense, you know. Right. Um, yeah. But but that's just the thing. Like people live in these boxes, like so much so. And if it's outside of that that cookie cutter, that that pattern or whatever it is, um, that, that 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 a label, that assignment, that whatever it whatever it is used to categorize things, like people are just confused. Like does not compute, you know. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, I think we we learn a lot of resilience and mm. um, acceptance. Yeah, oh, that's true, and and that's the other thing too. I've um, I always just love your your energy, um, and and I'm wondering, you know, I mean, you mentioned Berkeley, and <laughs> uh, just um, I don't know. I I I, th- I also think about some of the conversations that we've had, or just even had while um, like at. At my dad's wake, celebration of life, um, and and since then, just remembering that and those differences. I don't know. I guess maybe that's kind of something, too. Is maybe if you want, if you're willing to touch on um, how life has been after Aaron for yourself, um, and how how long ago was that? It's ten was, years. Ten years now. Yeah. yeah. And then, how old is uh, brother? Sorry. He's thirty-five. Okay. He was six years younger than Aaron. Okay. Yes. You know, one of the things, so when Aaron was 21, she moved into her own home, which was across the street from us. Yeah. And had roommates that were all part of her caregiving team. And the, the whole neighborhood block was kind of part of her caregiving team. And her home was was party central where everything happened because she liked being in the middle of things and um and and it was got pretty crazy there were definitely sometimes when i'd be coming back from her house and thinking god it was so much easier when i just took care of her and i didn't have and now there were like 10 people in this community taking care of her but when one person was in crisis, so everyone was in crisis. And so it wasn't, you had 10 crises instead of one going on. But it eventually worked out. It was so, so good for Aaron, for all of us. Um, but, and so when, she, when we got all that set up and it was working really good, I could kind of pick up and continue more in my work, which is, partly in, in how do we get to a world beyond war. And uh, I have a foundation that works on issues related to outer space. Oh. And so, you know, there's, there's some stress and there's a lot of things happening. And whenever I would get overly stressed, I would head over to Erin's house and just sit with her and hold her. And she was always my calming spirit. Mm. And, um, Anyway, just a couple weeks after she died, we had a meeting going on and it was a particularly stressful meeting. There were a lot of issues that were in the middle. And I remember coming home from that and I walked in the back door and then every part of my body just heading out the front door over to Aaron's house because that's what I did. And it was this thing of like, oh my God, I can't do that anymore. how am I going to survive these stressful times? I don't have the strength or the source that I can go to to, to get my own strength back. 
and and it was this thing of realizing I needed to you know find some new ways of dealing with stress other than counting on Aaron to be the one that that calmed me down and helped me through and you know so since then it's she is still very much present in my life I've I've had numerous signs or whatever you want to call them and um of definitely feeling a presence and a strength so um yeah she's still with me mm. that's powerful I, I one thing that um um so the other day was joe's um birthday, birthday. i saw that i actually wanted really? to reach out to you it came up on my calendar and i was remembering because there was one birthday that i spent with him um that is very powerful in my memory yeah um well so uh you know i was kind of in my feelings about that the other day for the most part and I was talking to um, uh, this companion of mine and she had her, like her brother died when she was like 23 um, and, and he had committed suicide. Um, and and there, there's like this feeling of like the loss and like the pain and, and like there's the initial like rawness of it all. Um, but there's like this denial to kind of like or this difficulty to let go of that that pain and and it really never goes away but something that she said that i kind of liked was you know pain doesn't go away but you just start to get used to it and you start to just learn how to or you just you just live with it um and you kind of grow with it if that makes sense where, where i like that sentiment as opposed to like oh i don't feel that way anymore because yeah I'm sure after 10 years, you don't feel yeah, like you're different. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, One of the things like after she died, I just kind of very intentionally and purposely gave myself permission to, to go as deep oh, as I mess, yeah. in into <laughs> the pain, into yeah. just, you know, and it's, it's kind of like that Cahill Gabron thing of the, the more sorrow carves you out, the more potential you have to fill up with joy. Yeah. And so, you know, being able to feel so completely and, and then, you know, like your friend said, it's the pain is still there, but it, it almost becomes a more solidity to you, mm. you know, in, in that groundedness in, in life. You know, yeah. that it's it's all there. Yeah, it's become very since my dad passed away. It's been very identity forming, almost kind of kind of two lives that I live like before when he was alive and after. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I do find that anniversaries of death and birthdays, there's something. It's almost like that that veil gets thinner. And there's, um, you know, the memories and the, the presence. You, you feel it stronger. Things are more intense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot. And and so just as well for our our special needs population, our our grieving 
is given such little space in Western society, I feel. Um, and you really have to kind of have some privileges to have the time to really experience it enough. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I feel like there's, there is such a, such a, I don't, I don't know how to explain it. It just feels that there's just not time given. There's not things to do or there's not language. There's not a lot of research. I don't even know how to explain it. Like all that verbally necessarily, but um, that attention and uh, for, for grieving, I, I joined one group or something like this one, one kind of group and that served some purpose um, but it didn't quite feel like enough or whatever. And all my friends and peers and, and I had a girlfriend at the time just, just really just had this inability to empathize or understand and everything. And, and it's only taken until years after once, you know, this used to feeling has come about that I start connecting with people who've had similar experiences that way. Mm -hmm. Um, and then that understanding is then being able to be felt and met, but it, um, yeah, it's just not, there's just not enough in the West. Like I think about um, an indigenous population or Native Americans and like how how much they celebrate, um, how much time they give uh, a community to wrap with their arms around an individual, um, more so than just like a funeral, you know, and, and, and in, invite a lot more of the expression of their feelings for a lot longer of time. Yeah. But yeah uh doesn't doesn't go away uh, that's for sure um, one of the things you know like you were saying talking to other people who've had similar experiences there's something so powerful in that 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 is that connects people yeah you know after when aaron was six months old i um heard about this mom's group that had just started and uh we met every week so it was all moms of other kids with disabilities yeah that's great and and that became a lifeline at that time with that initial stuff we still get together you know 42 years later wow um 40 yeah um and you know and it's not a group i would normally some of them i probably would never have run into and yet there is such a bond among us and so we met weekly for a long time and then it went to bi-weekly and then once a month and then twice a year and and we maintained the twice a year for many many years and then it finally got to once a year yeah. and we still still gather That's and, good. and there is this bond of just and you know the humor too i mean mm -hmm. things that we would be laughing at that people might think we're a little crazy to laugh at but um there's you look at things differently and you you know find humor where you can wow i love that it's really good uh you'll identify things on a high note um well i guess i'm also kind of curious too just uh bringing it back a little bit about um, maybe some of the work that you've done or do with ACL or um, uh, wh whatever kind of happened to the book that you were working on and any other maybe advocacy things in general that you can maybe speak to? 
Yeah. So the ACL, the Association for Community Living, um, when Aaron was very little, um, I I remember thinking, okay, I I need to to deal with what she's going to be, and um, so I forced myself to go visit the um, community center board at the time, and at the time everyone was in the basement. Um, and, and all these people kind of come at me with, you know, what I thought were quite odd behaviors. Um, and it was overwhelming. It was like, oh, my God, I, this is the life she's going to have. I, how, I can't do this. This is, you know, too much. Um, but at the same time that I, I did get involved, with it, and it was the ARC at the time, or the ARC, and met some people, uh, Judith Snow and, um, or Marsha, Marsha, yeah, anyway, out of Canada, and Jeff Strully here, he was the executive director of the, uh, the RQF, Art Colorado, and they all talked with this vision of how life could be, and, and the possibilities, and, and, you know, how we could create that life that it didn't need to be sticking someone away in a basement and people could be a part of the community and um you know things like circle of friends and so just giving that vision of you know what life could be for Aaron I am eternally grateful to the ACL for that that's what it provided and then putting me in touch with other parents too um so uh, I've been, I was on the board for six years and then off a couple years and now I'm back on. Um, I, I think the ACL holds that vision of, of why it's so important and not just for the people with disabilities, but for the whole community to be whole, to be welcoming, to be inclusive. And so that is our mission. And there's amazing staff there and the executive director just has such commitment and such vision. So it really is a pleasure being on the board. And we're always looking for other good board members. And I hope one of these days you'll come back, right? <laughs> I know you had other things going on, but we would really love to have you. Thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah, that was a tough time. I was trying to be committed. Um, what was that? That was maybe maybe almost a year ago this time or so when I was trying to trying to figure it out. I, yeah, um, we'll see. Uh, well, one thing you're kind of saying is like an all-inclusive community and all-inclusive uh, mindset. Um, so sometimes I often just think about is like, the idea of when you could you could either have the choice to build a stairs or to build a ramp and yeah a, a ramp will serve both people you know what i mean or you can build stairs and a ramp like whatever mm-hmm. um uh and you think about casting the widest net possible is going to benefit if it's going to if it's going to be helpful and beneficial for someone who has some special needs then it will be helpful and beneficial or accessible and usable for someone without right and you know you think of of our society and like the opioid epidemic and the 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 loss of lives there and people who and and particularly now i mean with with the things we're facing of covid and loss of jobs and the economy 
it's it's like if people don't feel a connection to their community every, you know and we can create that inclusive community where all people are welcome and you know it it, it just makes so much sense that um if we're going to survive we've got to do it together and isn't isn't it an irony though how the ones who promote the most love and inclusivity are often murdered look at martin luther king he just wanted equality um gandhi for example uh abraham lincoln uh like all of these people who john lennon like people who promote peace and inclusivity are murdered that makes that's a terrible irony and we just martyred for this um even jesus christ right um and and yet the one who those who are tyrannical seem to be impossible to remove from power right um eventually (laughs) i know eventually but it, it just slows things down and it and it just it continues to just add to the heat and and how it is that you and I obviously see very heart to heart and and see the goodness of of human beings, but there are so many that instead of wanting to put their arm around their neighbor, they're more ready to put their hand on their pistol that's in their open carry hip. You know what I mean? Um, and it's 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 still far away to have like true like world peace and and those ideas that we we strive for um but i do think that um your work uh you know my kind of work if you will just just people like us and the the gifts that people like aaron and bryce have brought us can only move us forward um because it allows us to our lives to be touched and then for us to touch other lives um spread inspiration and continue to share our, our stories of uh, joy and love and, uh, you know, hope for just a better, better society. Um, yeah. So, um, is there anything else that you wanted to, wanted to add Cinda? Well, you had asked about the book, so I actually wrote two and, um, they used to be on the ACL website. I don't think they are anymore, but they are on Aaron's website. Okay. And so it's www.aaronjcarsenault. Okay. And dot com. Yeah. Well, the C is for the Collins. <laughs> right. That was her middle name too. Um, dot com. And what we've done is try to put all the various things we learned and did into a website so that other people can use them. And so the two books I wrote, one is called um, Let's Get Together, Building Communities for People with Disabilities, something like that. And the other is When Do I Get Some Time for Me? It's a parent's respite handbook about building community and those you can download from that website cool and there's also several videos this one i mentioned that was given to barbara bush and uh, several others um that we got that aaron and and others are in about inclusion so those are also downloadable there 
as well as basically the story of Aaron's life, mm-hmm. pictures and stuff like that. So, awesome. Um, yeah, people can go there. Um, that would be well, great. I'll plug that. I'll put a. Uh, I'll put. I'll put that. I'll link that on on the Skies website for sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because that does have the books and the videos and and all of that's just open source materials that can be used elsewhere. Nice. Cool. Anything else on the horizon for Cinda? <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I've got tons of things. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. that's what keeps me going. Cool, good. Well, I love I loved our chat today. Um, yeah, thank you, Ryan. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. What was your uh, other son's name? John. John. Uh, cool. Well, uh, yeah, I'm so glad that we got to reconnect. Um, this won't be the last time. It's been way too long, obviously, uh, since we've seen each other or kind of interacting or anything. I think I last saw you at the ACL at at that night that I was like nominated or whatever. Yeah, Those yeah, that annual meeting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, I, vaccines are coming around. Yeah. <laughs> They're on their way. That's uh, a good idea. So hopefully they'll. We'll be able to normalize us soon enough. It'll be a few months still to get things going, but yeah. But again, it's a pleasure talking to you, and I appreciate all that you do. And you take care, stay healthy. Yeah, you too. And and say hi to Bryce for me, and tell him that when this is over, we want, I want to go out to lunch again with him because yeah, you know, we, we met for lunch a couple times there at uh, the Flatiron Mall. That's right. Yeah, he would love that. I'm sure he would. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Take care. Yep. Bye. Bye.